also, just so y'all know, there's like a kind of a typical flow to a sermon that you come to expect. Like there's an introduction and then there's a reading of the verse and then you kind of hit the, if you imagine a plane, you're flying and then the plane starts to descend. We call landing the plane uh, in a sermon. And so sometimes pastors have a hard time hitting the landing strip. So they keep circling until they get lined up just right. And so you're like, when's it going to end? When's it going to wind up? But you, even as like non-preachers, non-pastors, you expect that. You're like, okay, sounds like he's about to wind it up. I'm just giving you a heads up that today's ending will probably come pretty abruptly because this is actually one sermon, but I'm going to break it up into two because as I wrote it, I'm like, oh, this is no problem. This is going to fit right into our time frame. And then as I'm going over the notes, I'm like, man, that's a lot of content. And you and I both know a lot of content's good, but sometimes too much content's bad because then you begin to forget the other content. Um, so it's written as one sermon. And then at a certain point, um, after I make a, probably the second major point, I'm just going to say, okay, y'all, so we're going to probably just end it today. So don't, if you're waiting to know when the plane's going to end, this is going to be one of those where we run out of gas around the middle and the plane just drops. And we're going to close it in prayer. And then we trust the Lord to, to do what he's going to do. But I really do, before we open the text, I really just want to echo um, just gratitude from from our heart uh, as a family. Like we love walking alongside Christians, not just like attending church with people, but actually being the church together. Um, so we know that we can text one another throughout the week. We know that we can, you know, I, I don't know if you do read them or not. I, Mark sent me a message the other day and he's like, you didn't send us anything new yesterday. And I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, I like to send out those devotionals. It's good for me, but it's just a way that pastorally I can stay connected with everybody. And so if you get to read them, great. If you don't get to read them, then um, then uh, that's okay. Um, just be plugged into the Word somewhere. But um, anyways, it's really just a way of saying pastorally, man, we love you guys. And we miss those whenever we bring out at the beginning who's not with us. We mean that as genuinely, and we miss them. And so... So thankful for y'all and thankful that we have the same conviction that God's word is enough, that Jesus does not have to be propped up by any performance or presentation, that we can just come together as believers. And I want to be as authentic as possible in seeking to be a New Testament church. Um, I just believe that whenever they would gather together, it would probably look something more like this, something more organic. I don't know if it was always programmed out where the kids go here and the families go here and mom goes here and dad goes here and we got productions and presentations. I feel like it was more organic like this. That said, I want to pray for the churches that are around town that they really are feeling the crunch of the coronavirus and, and those pastors are meeting are, are not meeting with their people because they can't. So I just want to pray for those churches real quick. Lord God, um, we thank you for Cross Life. We thank you that you have begun this new work in Fort Smith as a church plant. I thank you for the devotion of our people, Lord, to your word, to one another, to prayer, to fellowship, Lord, being devoted to you. But God, I pray now for other churches throughout Fort Smith. I pray for the saints and for the believers in Fort Smith, Lord, that there would be an unsettling. There would be a desire to meet together with other believers, wherever you have called them, whatever church context, Lord, but may they seek to be with other believers because that's what your word tells us to do. The church is not the building. The church is not the backyard in our case. Lord, the church is the people that you have redeemed. 
And as brothers and sisters in Christ and co-heirs with Christ, we were meant to assemble together. So I pray that you create that hunger in us to find ways to gather. And Lord, that we are not satisfied being separated. Lone wolf Christianity is not true Christianity. It is not biblical. We were meant to be together, the body together. So God, thank you for cross life and what you've done in our hearts. But Lord, I pray for the city and the churches in this city, Lord, that those bodies would come back together and rejoice in you. But Lord, only you can do that. And I pray this all in your son's holy and redeeming name. Amen. All right, y'all, with that said, y'all turn with me to John 15. We're going to keep going through John 15. Now, it has been a few weeks, so the first part of the message, and this is where we do get some of our link, is I just don't want to miss what we've already talked about in John 15 because there are some, there's some great verses, and I'm even teaching Jackson that as he's listening and reading and got his Bible out in front of him, that it's okay to have a pen and to write in his Bible. And um, he was pretty excited because he was going to mark in his Bible the other day, and he's like, we already did that. We already got that verse. And so he was pretty excited. But um, I want to make sure we hit some key verses from the last few weeks because John 15 is really all about relationships. Now remember, Jesus is about to die. He is on the cusp of his death. And so his final words to his disciples are what he what we're reading right here. And in what the scholars have broken up into John 15, three relationships. We've talked about two. We're going to talk about the third the next two weeks. The first one was our relationship to Christ. And that was verses 1 through 11. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about our relationship to one another. And then today and next week, we're going to talk about our relationship to the world. But Jesus is having a moment with his own children. Like we're going to have a moment with our kids as they continue to get older. And like our parents had with us, where they want to know who our friends are. And they're going to instill their values in us. And we're going to instill our values in our kids. And we're going to say, hey, be careful though, because this is what may come. And that's really the context. Jesus is walking with who He calls now His friends. And He says, look, you need to know a few things. First off, you need to abide in Me. Then you need to abide with one another, and you will not abide with the world. So there's three contexts of abiding in John 15. So our, a few weeks ago, we looked at abiding in Christ. And here's some of those verses. Y'all just look with me. So you know I'm not making this up. John 15:4. We looked at this and and Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. In John 15, 5, right after that, He says, Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And in 15, 9, a few verses later, He says, Abide in my love. And then in 15, 10, we looked at where Jesus said, If you keep my commandments, there's a big if. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. So I want to talk about those real quick so we don't rush past them. But to abide means to stay, to remain in His love, and to abide in Christ. And so I think that the problem with most of our Christian lives these days is that we're so busy trying to live lives and not sit and abide in Christ. And so what does it mean to abide? Two other words we looked at were stay. So stay in Christ or remain in Christ. But that means you have to actually do it. 
Like this is not a passive faith that we can have. In fact, the idea that once saved, always saved, I'm good with that. But once saved, always saved, so I'm just going to coast in His grace, totally unbiblical. We read the Scripture and we know that we must contend for our faith. We know that we must actively abide in Christ. So I'm just going to remind you, we do this through, through praying. Um, and it doesn't have to be a formulaic prayer. It doesn't have to be tied to your Bible time. But just as you are driving home today, um, moms and dads, as you're setting your house back up, it's just, Lord, thank you for this day. Just that constant reminder. I mean, imagine if Chas and I lived in the same house and, and we don't ever just have those even one-minute conversations. Right? If we just keep waiting for that formal time to sit down at the end of the night so we can have like a, quote, real conversation... Imagine what that would actually begin to do to our relationship. But our relationships to one another are real quick, sometimes text, hey, thinking of you today. Hey, praying for you. Hey, how's your day going? It's that constant reminder from one another and to one another that you are, you are here by design and this is purposeful right now. So just as we have those, those quick conversations with one another, you can have those with God. So keep praying. Stay in the Word. If you don't know where to, to be in the Word, then talk to another believer and say, hey, where are you in the Word? And steal that idea and just come alongside them. But there are plenty of Bible, um, Bible plans out there. That's also why I try and do the devotional. Um, I want it to be Scripture for you as many days as I can um, and hopefully a very Scripture-centric uh, context to that. So abide in Him. Okay, there was a warning though that we looked at that week. John fifteen six. here's the warning. If anyone does not abide in me, Cross life, hear this. If anyone does not abide in me, Jesus says, then that person is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. You and I do not get to coast through our Christian faith. You and I must abide. So the first week that we started in John 15 was abide in Him. If we want to bear much fruit, which I think as Christians we want to, there's only one way. Abide in Him. The next week... Um, we picked up our relationship to one another. So abiding with one another. And this was about two weeks ago. We were meant to abide with one another is what 12 through 18 tells us. Look at some of these verses. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Right? So Jesus didn't just say love one another. That's easy. Right? I, can, I can love Mark. I can love Brad. I can love Marissa. Like, I can love. But then he said, as I have loved you. Like, he added the qualifier that as I, the Son of God, have come to give myself sacrificially for your sake and have washed your feet, so you must live with one another and love one another in that way. In 13, he, he reminds us, he says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So, we can be friends of God, but to be friends of God, there's a condition. We must do what He commands us. And what has He commanded us to do? To love one another. And not only to love one another, but to love as He has loved. In John 15, 17, He th says, These things I command you so that you may love one another. And in 13, 35, this is one you might have to flip back uh, a page or two. In John 13, 35, this was a verse we... We really want to understand, I think. It kind of encapsulates all this. 
in John 13, 35, he's talking to his followers. He says, by this will all men, not just church people, not just the righteous, he says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. What is it? If you love one another. And not just love on a surface, but love deeply. It's a different kind of love. We are not programmed to love in this way, except for maybe our spouse and our kids. He didn't say love your family in this way. He says love one another in this way. So we're going to conclude chapter 15 today and next week, the third relationship. We cannot and we will not abide with the world. The the world absolutely hates us. So, bring it all together. If we are abiding in Christ, if we are abiding with one another, then we absolutely will not abide with the world. The world will hate us. So three abidings are happening in 15. Alright, so let's conclude. In today, and tomorrow, uh, today and next week, John 15, 18-27, the rest of 15 says this. If the world hates you, Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the, wor- the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me, which would be God the Father. He says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. And Jesus says, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness about me because you have been with me from the beginning. Y'all, let's pray. God, um, I do not want to speak on my own. Lord, I I have nothing to give except to say, here's your word, and to try and explain it and, and to share pastoral concerns and insight. But Lord, we have your word before us. Help us to love your word. Help us to wrestle with your word and help us to be shaped by Your Word. But Your Spirit within us will resonate with the Spirit that moved these men to write Your words. Lord, Your Word before us, help us to just passionately pursue You and to push into this because You are worthy. Amen. Alright, so again, heads up. You're going to kind of, we're going to be cruising along and all of a sudden I'm just going to say, alright y'all, we're going to be done for this week and we're just going to close it in prayer. So be waiting on that, that plane to be flying and then all of a sudden we hit the Bermuda Triangle and we're just going to drop out of sight. Um, we'll conclude it next week. But I did want all of that context before because it really does shape this. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it a little bit out of, uh, out of order here. But sometimes we focus so much on the world hating us that we feel like we have to give a reason for the world to hate us. And the truth is, is that when we are are abiding in Christ like we're supposed to, and we are loving the brethren like we're supposed to, the world will just naturally hate us. It's just going to happen. We do not have to give a reason for that. You're going to hear that kind of um, throughout the sermon, but I just want to clarify. 
that because we love Christ, because we love one another, we will not be loved by the world. That's all it takes. Love Christ, hated by the world. All right, so if you take nothing else, that's it. But now let's begin our journey. Here we go. He says, if the world hates you, I'm going to read a couple of verses. If the world hates you, Christians, I mean, y'all should be sitting there thinking like personally, if it hates you, know that it has hated me, Jesus, before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And let's just sit there and, and kind of focus on that real quick. The world in this context is the masses of unbelievers. And they are all around us. And I don't mean like that house and that house. Like not specifically. But you and I live in an unbelieving world. We live in a dark world that's growing increasingly darker. We are moving whatever your timeline you believe in. Which by the way, even Jesus does not know the time upon which he will return. But we are progressively moving towards the great tribulation. The end of the world is coming. And as we do, those storm clouds will amass and they will grow greater. So the world will keep getting darker because unbelievers will make themselves more known. We live in a world that does not want anything to do with Christ. And God has left us in this world. There have been those who have said, well, why doesn't He just call us out of the world? If He loves us so much, then why did He leave us here? And I think the Great Commission answers that. He left us here because other men and women do not know Him. And what a sad and lonely and desperate life that will be. But He has left us here to proclaim His name to a dark world, just like He left the people here who at one time proclaimed the Word to you and you responded. We're supposed to be light. We're supposed to be salt. And as we are, we will be hated. But it will not be vain. I mean, I want to talk about the 5K yesterday, right? The joke is that I'm going to brag about it for about the next month or year. Um, Chaz would walk around a corner yesterday and I would just have my medal on um, walking through the house because I really just wanted to like have fun and, and I, but I was joking in my bragging but there was a purpose to that race for me like in the, that first leg of the race as we're running I'm just thinking man this is just stupid like I do not want to what was I thinking and then I look over and I see my wife and I'm thinking no I always told her I would run a race with her so there is a reward in the end I'm going to satisfy this obligation that I made to her. Like, she's going to be satisfied with this. Then I look ahead, and there's Paul up there, and I'm thinking, he ain't going to beat me. So I'm trying to run faster to catch him, which pushes my pace. But for me, there was a reward in the end. Um, The reward was, I did this, right? I did this. I had a purpose in doing it. It wasn't like I just went for a three-mile run, because that is stupid for me. But I was competing for something. And there was a reward. You and I are in this world and the days will seem long. The race will seem hard. But there is a reward greater than a medal that hangs around your neck or a trophy or a high five from a friend or a hug from a spouse. The reward in the end is we will be in His presence and He will wipe every tear from our eye and we will never be apart again. So keep that in mind that as the world hates you and me, this race is momentary and we will be in His presence forever. In a sense, Jesus is actually comforting them here, right? He's walking with his believers. 
They're going along the road. And he says, you have to abide in me, take comfort. I am really the way, the truth, and the life. Abide in me. And by the way, you better be loving one another as I have loved you. And now he's offering them comfort too with those things. And now he's saying, but you need to understand that you're going to be hated. And that's actually comforting in his context. Now, why in the world would this be comforting? Because no one wants to be hated. But the truth of the Scripture is that Christians will be hated because of our allegiance to Christ. In other words, he's explaining to them, here's why you're going to be hated. So you need to take comfort that as you abide in me, that allegiance is why they're going to hate you. So I need you to cling to me closer. This is comforting. The authenticity of your faith is going to be their hatred of you because of your clinging to me. Does that make sense? Like I'm this in, I, as I'm writing this one, I have more of a pastoral um, uh, not concern. I have a pastoral concern every time I preach. What do our people need to know? But I want to make sure that we get this: that if Christians are known by their love for Christ and for one another, and if Christians are known and defined by their love, because Jesus said, "By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another." If Christians are known by their love, then the world is known by its hate. The world doesn't want to hear that. That actually sounds unloving to the world. But we're to be known by our love for Christ and our love for one another. And he says, you're going to know the world too because the world's going to hate you because of your love for me. So if Christians are known for their love, their world is known for its hate. There is a reason that the world seems like a dark and scary place many days. There is a reason that, that's, that it seems so sinful and self-centered and self-seeking and self-preserving. It's because that Spirit is what we are born into. We are born with a Spirit that is not going to seek God on its own. We seek God because He first sought us. We love Him because He loved us. But our default orientation is to seek ourself. It's not to seek to love Him. It's not to seek to love others. And so this is why... Y'all, this is why as you begin to abide in Christ, then Galatians 5.22, that very first fruit of the Spirit is love. As you abide in Christ, you will find that, well, maybe you don't even realize it, but something that will begin to happen is your, your hard heart will begin to soften and you will begin to love God more. And you will begin to love one another more. And you will actually find that it's easier to forgive. As you abide more in Christ, then your life, your Christian life, actually begins to bear more fruit because you are the branch and you are being grafted into that vine and that sap is flowing through you. But the ability to genuinely love one another is not something that you or I can can develop. It can only come through being connected to Him. So the comfort is that as we abide with Christ... This world is going to hate us. As they hate us, we know that there's probably something pretty genuine going on over here. It's kind of like as I'm looking at my own kids, and I'm thinking, man, middle school's coming up, and after middle school, then high school. And, and there's just things that, I'll tell you, we just don't watch in our house. There's songs that we don't listen to. There are jokes that we don't make. But a lot of those movies that we don't watch, even now, Jackson will ask me, and he'll say, well, why can't we watch that? Because such and such watches it or, or they watch it and, you know, and, and he really wants to know. And really what it comes down to is, son, we're just different. We're just different. We're not going to enjoy the things of the world. And I know that might seem like a great movie, but we don't enjoy that language or we don't enjoy that context or we don't like we're different. And so as he's going through middle school and my other kids are coming up, 
then they're going to start to realize like that to live this Christian life is going to make them look a little bit different than the world. And from a little bit different, it's going to become a lot different as they get older. All right, so I have a very pastoral concern with all of that said. Number one, I got to say this. Should we call out sin and, and hold to the true standards of a holy God? Absolutely. Do not mishear what I'm about to say. We cannot condone sin. We cannot tolerate and love that which God hates. That's not what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is this. Do not seek to be confrontational as Christians. You don't have to. You do not have to seek to be confrontational. And I want to give you some verses, and I want us to look at these verses like in our Bible so that you can see I'm not making this up. Because if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, you're going to leave here and you're going to be like, Ricky said we don't have to do anything. Like we can just be quiet. We don't have to live for Christ. Whenever he said be bold for Christ, Ricky's like, no, you don't really have to. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the whole counsel of Scripture, we are bold for Christ, but we don't have to seek to be confrontational. And I feel like too many times Christians are seeking to be so aggressively confrontational, to be so aggressive and drawing that line in the sand to say, here's what we're against and nobody ever knows what we're for. So, y'all turn with me to some of these verses. Go to Romans 12, 18. This is all in the context of the world hating you. And I want to look at a different strategy that Scripture's given us. And I'm giving you several passages so that you don't think, hey, he's just taking one verse and pulling it out of context to make a point. So we're going to start in Romans 12, 18. Paul is writing. And if you have not read Romans... You need to read Romans. And by the way, whenever I say we're about to be in 1 Thessalonians, if you haven't read 1 Thessalonians, you should really read 1 Thessalonians. But man, Romans is good. It's like a, it's his magnus opus, which means it's, it's Paul's biggest letter. It's deep in theology. It's deep in doctrine. And then once you get to about chapter 12, which is where we are, man, it gets really practical. So you're reading all this theology and it deals with, with sin. It deals with election. It deals with... Um, calling on the name of the Lord and responding in faith. It's dealing with all those things. And in 12, he really gets real. Like, how do you actually live this out? I'm giving you one verse out of it right now. Romans 12, 18. Sis, Christians, he's writing to believers. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So who do we live peaceably with? All. To what degree? As much as in your control and my control. Chas does have to remind me of this sometimes because I, I want to try so hard to live peaceably with all. And sometimes she has to remind me, she's like, you've done everything you can at this point. Sometimes we need those people who say, you've given everything you can in this relationship. You have strived as much as you possibly can. There's only so much you can do right now. But you and I need to get this. The last four words, live peaceably with all. With believers, with unbelievers, we should live peaceable lives so that no one, we're going to see this later, so that no one can say that, hey, they appear evil in what they're trying to do. 1218, that's a good one. As much as in your control, live peaceably. Now, Ricky, what about... But, but you don't know the context. What about this one person who just really pushes me every single day? Then I would say, if possible, so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Why are they pushing you? 
Well, sin in their life, sin in your life, sin between you, I don't know. But find peace. Blessed are the peacemakers because they are children of God. As in Matthew. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-11 and 9 through 11 says this. So 1 Thessalonians, you're going to flip to your right just a little bit. There's a 1 Thessalonians and a 2 Thessalonians. The difference in the two? 1 Thessalonians was written first. And then 2 Thessalonians was written. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 9-11 through 11 says this. Now concerning brotherly love, which is what we're talking about right now, abiding with one another. Now concerning brotherly love, Paul writes, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that is indeed what you are doing to, with, to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you brothers to do this more and more. So he's already covered what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You've already been taught by the Master, love one another. Why would anybody else need to tell you? If Jesus said it, then it's good enough. Now look at 11. He says... And you you are to aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So, your life and my life, we are to go out and proclaim Christ, but we don't have to live this flamboyant Christianity. We don't have to stand on mountaintops and just scream it out loud. We don't have to get on social media and blow up everyone's feed with, with Jesus, 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 Jesus for the sake. Okay, it's all about motive. But just for the sake of people knowing that we're a Christian. That's a motive thing. That's a, that's a self, selfish thing. But if your motive on social media is, man, I want people to know Him and know Him more, that's pure. It says in verse 11, aspire to live quietly, Christians, and to mind your own affairs and to work with your own hands. Wise, verse 12, so that you may walk properly before outsiders. So your peaceable, quiet life is not even for God. It's so that outsiders look in and they see they live differently than the rest of the world. That makes sense? Okay. Go one chapter later to 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says this, Abstain from all, not evil, but what? appearance of evil abstain from all appearance of evil i put that in this context y'all we already know from what jesus has said that the world is going to hate you so we need to abstain from all appearance of evil that's why i say you don't have to draw that line in the sand because you know that line in the sand can be if it's not about just jesus and seeing his holiness and his and our need of a savior that line in the sand can actually appear evil because it could be a sign of provocation They're just trying to provoke me. They're just trying to start a fight where there doesn't need to be a fight. And I fear, as I look at social media more and more, and as I look um, at our Christian context, that that's something that we want to be mindful of. Again, don't mishear me. Live boldly for Christ. Make Him your one conversation. I mean, if you could sit down with Paul, who wrote these letters... What do you think is going to come out pretty quickly in his conversation? Jesus. Jesus is great. Jesus is good. Proclaiming Jesus is absolutely what you and I must do. Go, therefore, to all the nations and teach them all that I have taught you and baptize them. Like, that is the Great Commission. We must do that. But we don't have to go with controversy. I mean, what would happen if we were so comfortable in the quietness of the peace that God has given us 
and confident in His salvation that we don't feel like we have to provoke anything from anyone. We don't have to stay what we're against. We just live for what we're for. And what we're for is the kingdom going forward. But how many times have we probably spoken or acted in such a way that now we have lost favor with those who are looking into our faith? Y'all turn, y'all turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. This is my last one in this context. So the reason I'm doing this is the pastors are called not to entertain the congregations, but to equip the congregations. It says that in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, actually, that God gave the leaders of the church and the leaders of the faith to equip the saints so that they could be mature and do ministry. And so as I'm preparing a sermon, I'm not doing a scholarly study. I'm, I'm reading it and I'm thinking about each of you and I'm like, okay, so Lord, what do our people need to hear? Like pastorally, what do I want to communicate? And that's where these verses are coming from. The most controversial thing about you and me is our allegiance to Christ. That should be the only controversy that people have with us. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm making. I'm having to do a pastoral concept check here. Okay, making sure I'm on the right page. Ephesians five fifteen through sixteen says this. It's our last verse in this sub point. This is one that I would underline. It's one that I need to memorize more and more. Paul writes to believers and he says this: Pay careful attention then to how you walk, how you live life, not as unwise but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So you and I are going to have a day today. We need to walk wise and not unwise because the days are evil. And evil days will come to an end. All the suffering, all the affliction, all the hatred and persecution that you may face has an expiration date. When you and I die, when this world ends, it's over. Like all the suffering, all the persecution and hatred that you and I will face in this world will end definitively. In the meantime, cross life, walk wisely because the days are evil. And an unbelieving, onlooking world needs to see that there is a drastically, eternally different way to walk in this world. And it's one that comes by peace. In His Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. And He followed it with this, because they will be called children of God. So if we would be called children, sons and daughters of God, we look for ways to make peace. Now, last caution with that. I cautioned it at the beginning, the last caution at the end. Never seek peace and unity at the sake of truth. Okay? So we can never say, here's truth. I'm going to put it aside so that we can have peace and unity and live out these verses. We have to live for truth. We proclaim the truth. And as much as within our control, we live peaceably with all men. So strive for unity and strive for peace among the brotherhood, but amongst the world too. That's how we're going to be salt and light. We're going to be peacemakers, but never at the sake of truth. So any time that the truth is on the line and that they say that there is no need for a Savior, that Jesus is only one way, that Jesus was just a man or a prophet, truth is on the line and we stand boldly for Christ. Okay. So I share all of that because I think that too many Christians think that their, that their call is to reform culture and draw lines in the sand. And our chief call from, from John 15, chief call is abide in Christ. And that leads us to live a drastically different world. 
we live, we abide for Christ by believing in Him and committing our lives to Him. But we're going to live quiet lives, and that that's not a cowardly thing. It's a humble, meek thing. Right? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, is what other translations say. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. That's what Jesus displayed when He pursued, when He walked through His passion. He even told them, I could call down all the angels and put an end to this. He could have looked at the Father and said no, and He could have done that, but He had this power under control, all authority in His hands, and yet He goes to the Christ because all that power is under control. And He knows that the end of the cross is joy. That we may sit here today and sing to Him and pray to Him and rejoice in His great name. So ultimately, be known for what you're for and not for what you're against. Know in your heart that He is Lord. Live for Him and see what He does with that. Colossians 1.28 says this, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Proclaim Him in your life. But as you do that, you will absolutely be hated. You know you will be hated because Jesus said, when you abide in Me, you will be hated. There's a danger in our world today. We call it syncretism. When the church is no longer living holy and distinctly different, but it's tried to attract the world by becoming more like the world, and we've brought the world into our church to where Christians and the church really look no different than presentations and shows that you can watch in Branson or lives that you can see lived out throughout the rest of the world. It's not about shirts. It's not about churches we attend. It's about living holy lives that truly are abiding in Christ. Let's not value the outward expression of our faith. We need it. But pursue first that inward. That's what John 15 is about. told you the plane's about to just drop off real quick. Okay, So the plane's about to drop off. And then we'll cover the rest of the verses next week. But you and I should so desire to live holy lives and to abide in Christ, say, what would it look like if this? What if instead of picketing and and protesting and and being against this and that out there, I'm not talking about what's going on in culture right now. I do think that racial reconciliation is something that does need to happen. Do I think that, that there are shifts that we need to be mindful of? Absolutely. What I'm saying is, what instead of being known for what we're against, I'm saying it again. What if all that energy that was so outwardly expressed actually became more of an inward focus? So instead of of that proclamation out there right now, how much time did we actually spend in the Word and in prayer? Because all of that amounts to nothing if we're not first abiding in Christ. So I want to pull this all together. He said, Abide in Me, and you will bear much fruit. Abide in Me, and so... Show the love and, the, and the, the joy of Christ in your lives. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And as you abide in me, then you're going to abide with one another and love each other in such a way that the world is going to look in and say, man, that's different. What is that? And he says, as you do those things, the world will not abide with you. It will hate you. So I'm giving you comfort this morning and saying that all the thoughts that you have of Christ high and holy, exalted, and we should be living differently or valid. 
all the convictions you have of why we live different lives and we don't watch this and we don't participate in this and we don't in, indulge or tolerate that, they're actually very valid. They're legitimate. They're calls to holiness. And because of your call to holiness, you're going to be hated by an unholy world. So take comfort. Take joy. You don't have to seek to be hated to make Scripture true. You live out true Scripture and you will be hated. I want to pray for y'all. I want to answer this one question as we pray. If, if Jesus is the light though and He's good and, and He's healing people and He's proclaiming who He is and, and we know that He's God, if, if that's really, if He's the light, then why in the world would the world hate that? And John 3.19 answered that for us. Jesus said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and that people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The reason that people do not choose to love Jesus and do not choose to follow Him is because they do not want to follow Him and love Him. Men love darkness. And by men, I mean like the men and women. People love darkness because our works are evil and we're comfortable in them. And the light of Christ comes in and He, he says, what you're doing is evil and it will lead to hell. And we have to respond to that. Let me pray for you. Lord, help us to live so confidently in the love of who you are. You are high and holy and majestic. We don't even need to prop you up with any great sermon or song or experience. Lord, what we need to do is learn how to quit throwing our voice out into a chaotic world and learn to rest first in you. And as we rest in you, you will grow this love within us. And that love will radiate and magnify our quiet voices into this world. Lord, help us to be bold enough to proclaim Christ and rebuke sin. Lord, help us to be bold enough to live quiet, wise, humble lives that exalt our confidence in who you are. You went to the cross for us. May we proclaim the cross but the cross is all we have to proclaim. That Jesus Christ, the Holy Son of God, went to the cross to die for sinful men. That if we would believe in Him, we would be yours and be coming home. Thank you, God, that you have dealt so graciously with us and that you have been so merciful to us. You are a great and merciful God and we love you. Amen.